This is the European edition of Breaking Banks, the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show. We bring you the European unicorns, startups, founders, regulators and leaders innovating the rapidly evolving fintech scene today. A truly localized podcast with both English and local language content with some of the world's most well-known hosts and influencers in the fintech sector globally. Join us every week as we explore what makes the European Union a phenomenal proving ground for many of the fastest growing fintech plays in the world today. Okay, let's roll. Hello and welcome to episode number 20 of Breaking Banks Europe. I'm your host, Ajit Tripathi, uh, here and with me, uh, I have Hart Lamber, uh, who is uh, an ex-Goldman Sachs founder of a DeFi protocol called UMA, or UMA protocol, uh, obviously a much prettier name. And you know, uh, Hart has built some of the coolest things in DeFi. And with me, I also have Mark Zeller. Mark Zeller is currently at Aave as the head of developer relations. And you know, he's one of the best known uh, 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 best known developer evangelists in the whole space. And he's also been instrumental in the success of the Aave protocol along with a number of other uh, you know, e- uh, protocols in the community. He's also extremely well known in France uh, and for his French charts on Twitter, which did describe how to make money in DeFi. And if you're not following him, you should look at the French charts. So on that happy note, uh, you know, we'll get started. And today's topic is the new directions in DeFi. Now, the fact is, you know, DeFi is barely four years old. So what could possibly be new? I mean, uh, so Hart, uh, first of all, welcome. Uh, what's going on? In Where are we at in DeFi? Can you give us a historical perspective, given that you've been around forever? <laughs> sure. I mean, I don't think DeFi has been around for four years, Ajit. I think it's been you know, substantially less than that. I think what the term came in like maybe end of 2019, maybe. Uh, yeah, there were a period where I, I remember the fight uh, between open finance and DeFi and yep. I was in the decentralized finance camp. Uh, so yeah, yeah the, the term is new. The term is new. And I think the, uh, to, okay, so we want the history of where we got uh, to I'll give you my philosophical take on it, and then you and Mark can rip it apart. Um, But my philosophical take is that the history of financial and products and services in traditional finance is the history of like legal innovations. Because basically every financial product and service in traditional finance is a legal contract. Um, Insurance and derivatives are like very clearly legal contracts and their enforcement mechanism is legal recourse. Um, and so let's say that the legal system, and as it currently is known, has been around for like 150, 200 years, call it. Um, DeFi represents an entirely different way of enforcing contracts. That's, that's my take on it. And instead of enforcing contracts with legal recourse and identity, um, you're enforcing contracts with economic incentives alone. And in order to do that, we needed digital money. Um, and we needed uh, a, a, a smart contract blockchain system. And so those things came together and then people started toying around with how do we write, how do we build financial products and services that are actually not enforced by some legal contract, but are instead enforced by economic incentives alone. And that's how we came about building all this DeFi shit. And I think that is ludicrously cool, like to invent a new contracting system. Um, and I think that DeFi started 
with trying to recreate some of the things that exist in traditional finance, like lending, um, like exchange, like trading. Um, and now if we're going to talk about new directions in DeFi, I think it's time for us to start inventing some new shit that doesn't, that doesn't exist in traditional finance. I'll start talking about And Mark, what's your perspective coming from the from the depths of the Legion world? Uh, the first thing is that I would completely agree with what Art said, which is not fun because <laughs> it's uh, it's always more fun to <laughs> to fight a little during this kind of exercise, but uh, not right now, at least. Um, and I, I will add to it that decentralized finance basically created and uh, in the sense that it created the project market fit for the first cryptocurrencies, in the sense that a lot of people uh, think about hyper-Bitcoinization, when I can pay stuff with Bitcoin and things like that. And the adoption of that in the real world, it's almost zero. And we keep seeing more and more geopolitical events, like seeing new crypto for freedom and things like that. We don't see a lot of adoption, even with like big once in a century events uh, that happen every six months for some kind of reason for the past three years. Uh, but uh, decentralized finance created an infrastructure and an ecosystem for non-speculative crypto assets, uh, such as stablecoins. Uh, they can be decentralized or centralized, decentralized such as DAI, RAI, and the other like this, or centralized like USDC, and basically created these uh ecosystem where you can have an actual decentralized finance that exists and actors that came into the crypto asset world without any kind of speculation at all like a lot of people like most user of a basic liquidity protocol in decentralized finance they have stable coins and they get out with stable coins. They have zero exposure to volatility asset because what they want is a passive income. And it's completely fine. And that's something new. And just to finish on that part, uh, what is important and what is limiting right now is the infrastructure. So DeFi reached the product market fit. Like it went from less than 1 billion three, three years ago to more than 250 billion right now. That's a good... Uh, product market fit in sense that people have shown some interest for this project, but it's still small. Like 250 billion is a lot of money. It proves that there's a point, there's, a, there's some interest to it, but how do we scale from there? And the answer to scale from there is infrastructure. And right now, if we want 2 billion users in DeFi, that's not an option. No network, no network out there, no VC chain with 1,000 transactions per milliseconds or whatever can handle 2 billion people right now. And that's a fact. So the next steps, in order to go bigger, will be to work on the infrastructure. And a lot of people are doing that, and I think there's never going to be only one answer. We are living in the multiverse blockchain world. There's going to be different solutions for different actors. And I think it's a good thing. So, you know, I mean, before I, uh, before Ether went to 88 in 2019 and I became poor, I used to argue with a lot of people on Twitter and, uh, and I've started that again. Uh, so I, I started that for a while because, you know, Ether went to almost zero and I had to behave, but I'm going to start that again. So, so I have a couple of questions on everything you said, right? I'm going to challenge a few things. So the first is, DeFi has reached product market fit. First of all, DeFi is a lot of different things. Some things in DeFi may have reached product market fit. Some of those may not, right? So, so let's 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 take a look at that. So, let's say Uniswap is an automated market maker. You know, 
uh, it, it has reached product market fit in that in the sense that you know uh, you don't need to wait for coins to be listed on binance and then you can trade them on dexes and dex aggregators trade but uh, has anything else reached product market fit in the sense that you know i see that defi still relies quite heavily on liquidity mining and token incentives uh, so what else in defi has reached product market fit hard yeah i think defi hit like product market fit stage 1 and i actually think we're in like a maybe i don't want to call it a dead zone that sounds a little bit negative but uh, you know what a it, like think of um, the history of like the internet or the World Wide Web, right? Like the first World Wide Web, you had the Yahoo homepage. And I'm, I'm kind of old, so I actually remember this, but like the Yahoo homepage, boring as shit. It was a little directory where you like click around. But that did hit like product market fit stage one for the internet where people were like, oh shit, I need to get on the internet. I need to like see what this thing is. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't really much of anything new past that. I kind of feel like that's where we're at. And so to take Mark's point, like infrastructure, super important. That's what we're building, right? Um, we want to, there'd be more infrastructure to build more things. But really what I think we need to, to have this take off is like another stage of product market fit where there is some product that comes into existence that doesn't exist like in TradFi. That's something new that people want. Um, and so that's like, creating my space, you know, off of the internet, like led to a whole other, uh, a whole other growth stage um, for the, for the technology. I think right. one important part of that is that all the basic money Legos are there. Does that mean that the one we have right now will be uh, just like you said, Yahoo uh, uh, left their place to Google eventually and many first wave uh, internet company, uh, some of them are still there and at the top, some of them disappeared. And that's completely fine. But what they basically do is still there. And I think the basic money negos are here and are here to stay. Maybe different actors will do that. But if we want more complex product, more sophisticated product, we need several things. The first thing is that more maturity into the ecosystem actor. What we are seeing right now when we like protocols are proposing like a bit more complex derivative and things like that, they are not less successful in terms of attractivity, but in terms of audience reach, because a lot of people in DeFi right now are just uh, 20 years old-ish uh, uh, DGEN that don't know, uh, doesn't have a lot of financial education. And the uh, institutions that are coming, like more sophisticated actors, they are less uh, inside the ecosystem yet. They, they are coming, but still a process ongoing. So we need more sophistication and maturity in ecosystem actor. And the second thing in that part of the infrastructure is that everything you do on the public blockchain costs transaction fee. And the more complex you do something, the more costly it is. And with the basic infrastructure we have right now, like Ethereum Day 1, it's already super, super expensive to do things that are not that complex. Right, right. And that's... Yeah, go for it. Sorry. So I was going to ask about, you know, so you said all the basic money Legos are there. And uh, I guess most of them, I'm sure they are, you know, quite a few are there, especially now that we are seeing structuring products come online. And we're going to talk about that uh, in, in detail later. Uh, but the underlying infrastructure of blockchains itself is, you know, and you're starting to talk about that is is actually pretty 
brittle as in you know so a lot of devs are writing uh, smart contracts in solidity these contracts are getting you know have major security issues all the time and i'm not fighting defi i actually you know work in defi uh, so, so and then you know there are gas fees issues the bridges uh, between blockchains are not very secure so that i mean is the tech really ready for you know defi to scale and i don't mean the smart contracts i mean the layer underneath the smart contracts the actual blockchains right where are we at on that so i think mark's part is that like we need more infrastructure i think we're getting there there's like a lot of stuff happening i don't I, again i want to like disagree with mark on some things here so we'll find some stuff to disagree with at some point I love but, that part. <laughs> but let's do it now we love this idea. But, no but like like no but Ajit, like you're right we've got all this stuff happening in terms of scaling but like the layer twos right now still have like centralized sequencers and like all this other stuff that's like it's we're, we're getting there but we're not there yet um you know, what we're supposed to do on this podcast, right, is talk about, be optimistic about where we're going in the future. And I think there is reason for that that's, optimism. That's, that's, like, that's the two of you guys. I'm representing TradFi here. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is reason for some optimism that, like, this technology work that people have been working on for the last five years is bearing fruit right now with, like, layer twos and these alternative blockchains and all this other stuff. But to your point, there are massive holes that I think the industry doesn't even talk about. And, you know, I, I'll give you maybe something more controversial that maybe maybe Mark will uh, yell at me about. But um, there's sort of one narrative that TradFi is going to adopt DeFi Rails to do a bunch of their business, right? And I think we are so far away from that. I think we are so far away from traditional finance actually using DeFi because there are big questions, not only on the technology side, but also on the uh, kind of like, I don't want to say regulatory, but just like incompatibilities with the way DeFi works um, in the traditional system. And one of those mainly, I think, would be like uh, this concept of recourse. Like in TradFi, if something goes wrong, you know who people are and you can go like knock on their door and be like, give me my money back or like that, that's wrong. And you have a legal recourse to, to recoup things. In DeFi, you don't have that. Shit does break way more than it's supposed to. And there is no concept of recourse. So I think we are a long way off from traditional finance actually being able to use that infrastructure. Um, but there's my controversial statement. Well, finally, we disagree. <laughs> so uh, not totally disagree in the sense that it's not mature yet. But um, uh, there's actually quite a few interesting pieces uh, allowing that and uh, allowing to go that path uh, that are already there and are, are still being built. Uh, the first thing is that uh, more and more institutions are looking in DeFi and uh, the two main projects around that are Compound Treasury and Aave Arc. Um, mm -hmm. And there's actual uh, institution using Aave Arc today uh, with actual deposit. It's still small, but it's something that is growing. Uh, you have real world assets uh, that are coming uh, and already exist in Aave with Centrifuge, with uh, MakerDAO, with Centrifuge as well. Uh, there's more and more projects like that. And I think in the future, I don't think in the next two to three years, you will see uh, a lot of things happen with this on Ethereum mainnet. But I'm completely confident 
uh, you will have private-ish uh, layer twos on top of mainnet, or private-ish uh, private subnet on Avalanche, or private to layer two on top of polygons that will basically anchor on mainnet. And that's a solution that is kind of an answer. Like when I, when I entered the blockchain space like a few years ago, uh, a lot of people were debating in traditional world uh, between private blockchain and public blockchain. And I think private blockchain are dead. Like, uh, I don't know if Air or Tree is still alive, but uh, if they are, uh, good for them. But I think most people have understood that no public blockchain are here to stay, but how do you plug yourself into a public blockchain and at what condition? And when you have whitelist module, when you have the option to have private-ish layers on top of public layers, that um, makes sense as a pathway for this kind of actors. Can, can I, um, I want to understand, because I actually think this is kind of cool and I think Ave Arc is really interesting, but um, I, got, I got questions here. So yeah, yeah. the way I understand Ave Arc, right, is like, it's basically a fork of Ave that's whitelisted where all the counterparties know who they are um, yeah. for borrowing and lending, right? And yeah, you so don't that know your makes... Right, you don't know your counterparty, but you know, all the counterparties are known. Okay. Okay. Cool. So you don't know your counterparty, but all the counterparties are known, which means there is a concept of recourse now, where something goes wrong on no, Ave no, Arc. No, 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 it means there is a concept of identity. Doesn't mean there is a concept of recourse, right? So recourse comes from legal contracts in the sense that if I lend to you and then there is a legal contract against which I'm lending, and I'm saying, look, if if you default, then I'll take your house, uh, you know, or send send my goons to your place. Uh, to break some legs that's that's recourse but in this case there is identity but there isn't necessarily recourse well i'd argue ajit if you know people you can sue them so there is recourse like uh, once you know who somebody on, is depends you on go. what you depends on what they do right so so, so i think uh, yeah, ajit is very sorry, conservative Mark, here uh ajit is very conservative here and i know ajit and i think uh, he is the smart one saying things that way but if you know people some things can happen, but yeah, that's not something that is completely automatic. Yeah, okay, yeah. So just like at a high level though, all I'm arguing is that once you know who people are, you can go back and like, I can write you a lawsuit now. And you know, in the it's certainly in the US where you can sue anybody for everything, right? Yeah, so, um, right, right? So, so if, let's say, if let's say one of the participants launches an exploit and you know, you know, because you know that it's who they who did it, sure, you can sue them, right? Uh, yes, in exactly. certain circumstances, there is uh, recourse, yes. Yeah, or, or I mean, talk think about it from like a regulatory perspective. Like, um, the U.S. government could decide that one of these people is a bad actor, is breaking, you know, yes. sanctions or something, yeah, and they can go and that. sue them. That's right, right. Roman Abramovich. Uh, yeah, exactly. So you got like Ave Arc in this world where there is identity, and yeah. then you've got Ave, right? Normal Ave, where there is no identity; everything is pseudo anonymous. Mm -hmm. And then I can see those two universes actually having like to, to take the Ave example, they could have very different rates, right? Like all the borrowing and lending rates could be very different. Mm -hmm. And then in theory, there is like, I look at this as a very pure way of thinking about the bridge between TradFi and DeFi. So you have like TradFi with identity and you have DeFi and you might have this like arbitrage between the two. And then my question is who, like what is the space in the current like world where the person that can fit in both worlds? Because like yeah, in order, yeah. and if, if there are enough people that can fit in both worlds to arbitrage those both worlds, I think you've built a bridge between them. But if there aren't enough people, 
that could have a foot in both systems, then I'm less convinced that, you know, we have that, um, that bridge today. Yeah, so Michael, can you take that because I'm I'm supposed to be the Well, the only thing I, I know about DeFi and economics in general is that if there's money to be made, actors will pop out. <laughs> like uh, if there's actually an arbitrage, like let's say you can make six percent out of your USDC on Arc and only four percent uh, to borrow that USDC on uh, the permissionless uh, AV you will find people borrowing on uh, the DeFi side to the ARC side. And um, there's actually quite a lot of actors out there that can fit on both worlds that are that have both uh, worlds within their comfort zone. Some actors can only access one part and some actors only the other parts, but there's always actors that can uh, fit on both ways. And if there's arbitrage opportunity, markets love equilibrium. I agree that markets love equilibrium. Yeah, we're going down the rabbit hole, and you know, our audience might be wondering what these guys are talking about. So, so one one direction is that you know, in traditional finance, if you want to use a service, then you have to KYC, right? At least in the Western countries, you have to kind of provide your documentation, and you have to provide KYC documentation, and you have to be onboarded before you can start. Let's say using a bank account or something. That's not the case in DeFi. But now there is a family of protocols that is coming online, whether it's Aave Arc, you know, One Inch Pro, Paraswap Pro. And you know a bunch of protocols that essentially require uh, participants to be KYC'd and then given the permission to access, you know, the same software that we currently use in DeFi, but with you know prior permissioning. So, so this this space of permission DeFi is definitely a new direction. And you know, MakerDAO, Aave, and a couple of other uh, major protocols have kind of really made a big push in this direction. And the question is, you know, who is actually that's using that? So, so hard. And uh, I mean, so so between the trad trad fi, right? Goldman Sachs, Barclays Capital, or BBVA, or all of our audience from traditional banking and and the DGen world, which is a slot, uh, there is a world of DGen institutions, as in you know, institutions that have proprietary capital typically don't have client money. So these are like family offices, hedge funds that have been very aggressively moving into crypto recently, right, over the last year or two years. And those are the participants that are essentially also providing this buffer between the traditional banking system and, and you know, the crypto, this new emerging, you know, on-chain internet of value system. And those are the guys who have shown the most interest in permission DeFi. So if you look at the Aave Arc market, you know, participants, the, the, all of those are actually crypto native institutions, right? There is no like TradFi bank bank. So the likes of Galaxy Digital, the likes of, you know, uh, Genesis, BlockFi, and uh, so it's, you know, even Wisdom Tree. That's the sort of uh, institutional uh, community that we are seeing come into, you know, uh, permission DeFi. Yeah, so I think that's the right way of framing it. Like, this is a potential new direction um, in DeFi, like this permissioned, permission DeFi, let's call it. I'll say that I remain unconvinced that that's going to bear fruit in the short term. Long term, yeah. Long term, yeah. But I remain like, because I think so much of what has caused that growth of DeFi is the individual. Like, it's much more grassroots, or let's call it like the whales, um, who I don't think have access to both systems here. I'm like less convinced that permission DeFi is going to be a thing. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, Mark, what do you say about that? Uh, I think it's it's very hard to reach like 250 billion uh, DeFi market cap with only individuals. 
Like uh, we all love like uh, the grassroots movement of DeFi, and I think it's actually a grassroots movement uh, made by a lot of small individuals that uh, wanted an alternative. But the state of DeFi that it is today is that we already have these big actors. Like uh, and like the the figures don't lie. When you look at the main protocols, uh, you look at the main depositors and things like that. Uh, obviously, it's pseudonymous because it's the blockchain. But uh, if you dig a little, you will see often the big uh, actors, and some of them has been already quoted by by Ajit. So I think we already have the DGEN institution, as you say, Ajit. Uh, it's true that uh, it's still a bit uh, shy on the the more uh, uh, I would say try 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 try, but um, the fact that we already have like all this uh, interest and the fact that many of them already deposited their statements yeah. uh, like uh, we are talking about like a, a few do- now the what uh, it's got to now at 32 million in liquidity which is you know i think sort of ahead of where we thought it would be given the number of approvals you had to get inside even these institutions yeah but what is really important to me is not the actual figure like the tvl figure that it is today is that even if they deposit one dollar that means they have the inside uh architecture and process to deposit that first dollar. And that's actually the hardest step because it's not that difficult and that more uh, technical to deposit $1 million or $1. It's basically the same process in uh, decentralized finance. So even if the amounts are small today, uh, that's increased my confidence in the fact that there's a real interest into this. Yeah, at least we got people to you know, connect a MetaMask wallet or or a custodial fireblocks wallet to to a DeFi protocol and you know and start and get com- convince their entire internal bureaucracy whether it's ops finance compliance you know uh, heads of this or heads of that to essentially start to play with DeFi and you know learn how DeFi actually works and and one of the you know one of the most loaded terms in the world is apart from you know virtue and freedom is decentralization. So, uh, you know, everybody claims that they are decentralized. Uh, you know, even I think uh, we heard about Revolut potentially launching a token and I hope they're not claiming they're decentralized. But what exactly is decentralization when we refer to DeFi? And where are we going on that front? To me, that, 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 that's an easy one. It's just, can you shut the thing down? Like, I think that's the part that I think it's an easy question to look at. If you like wanted to shut this thing down, could you do it? And if you can, it's centralized. Um, and uh, I think one entity can do that. We say again, Mark. What do you mean? Yeah, I completely agree. If it's only one entity that can do that, if there's Correct. like the world community and the governance that want to shut things down, that's still decentralized to my book. I agree. I, okay, I agree with that. Like, if the MakerDAO community voted to shut down MakerDAO or whatever, yes, I, I would still call that decentralized. And maybe there's a little bit of a spectrum here too. Um, uh, it's like, but but basically we got the, the same um, kind of idea here. And so like right now, you know, let's take um, the layer two projects right now where they actually are running these central these centralized sequencers. No no fault of theirs. Like I'm not knocking them. I'm a very big fan of these projects. Um, but right now they are pseudo centralized because there is like one thing that could get taken down um, and they are actively working towards a path where that wouldn't happen. 
Um, do you agree with that, Ajit, as a definition? No, no, I, I agree. I, I think it's, you know, it's, it's not just one thing, but also one person or one company, right? So as in, hmm. as in if a, a protocol has a founder and that person can be arrested and they have some keys or, you know, they can be made to sort of kill the protocol and uh, yep. or, or if investor, right, a major investor gets arrested and you can vote all their tokens to stop the protocol, then then I guess it's uh, it's fairly centralized. So I really like that definition in the sense that, you know, DeFi is on the first time we had this. Uh, BitTorrent is fairly decentralized even after Justin Sun, oh my God, bought it. Uh, so, you know, as <laughs> you can't really stop BitTorrent. We're not going to talk too much about his excellency here, but, you know, that's a, that's a separate topic. Uh, let's just take a quick break. I agree with your definition. I think that's the same definition that you know, uh, I think we have pursued uh, about censorship resistance and unstoppable uh, internet infrastructure. So, so as when we come back from, uh, you know, we talked about permission DeFi and decentralization. When we come back, we will talk about some of the some of the more interesting things in financial engineering and you know all the tradfi talent starting to build, which includes our you know guest heart. Uh, we can call you TradFi talent, right? In DeFi heart. Sure, man. Sure. <laughs> Not trying to offend you. Anyways, we'll come back after the break and start this all over again. Thank you. The FTS Group builds innovation ecosystems. We engage incumbents, investors, entrepreneurs, technology partners, and regulators to build trusted and connected fintech tribes around the world. We firmly believe that innovation in financial services will truly improve people's lives. Learn more on ftsgroup.eu. All right. Uh, welcome back to episode 120 of, uh, of uh, Breaking Banks Europe. Today we are talking about new directions in DeFi and uh, you know, the, uh, we, we have some spicy debates uh, to entertain you. Uh, so we're going to talk about TradFi talent in DeFi and Hart. You were at Goldman Sachs, right? Uh, what were you doing there? Uh, I was a rates trader at Goldman for eight years at a university. Um, so for not through the financial crisis. Um, right. Yeah. That's the anime redemption, redemption arc. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you did that. No, it, it was. <laughs> That's basically Sasuke from Naruto. <laughs> it wasn't mortgages, right? So just to be clear, not a credit trader or something, I guess. Anyways, so 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 we're talking about you know TradFi talent coming into DeFi, right? So I currently advise Polygon, and and we get a very steady and steady stream of CVs from TradFi every single day saying they want to work in DeFi and they want to start a DeFi protocol. So so what's really going on there? And you know, so Hart, you've been creating some very interesting things. Uh, how do you see that impacting DeFi? Well, yeah, let's talk about like just the the talent arc there too, and just just the the job search right and in general um like DeFi is a massive growth area crypto web3 huge growth area uh sales and trading in particular in in banking is not a growth area sales and trading in tradfi is a shrinking area where there's less and less <laughs> opportunity going around and yes, right, you agree ajit right yeah, yeah, traders are being replaced by algorithms. So, you know, and, and that's in even more and more sophisticated products. So, yeah, sure. Yeah. And like, so, like, just take the macro trend that's happening. And then you add to the fact that sales and trading in TradFi was incredibly lucrative um, as a profession, like not that long ago. And the, the kind of the, the, the bounty there is getting shrunk, like, kind of year after year. 
couple good years now with like COVID making markets more active. And like, there's, so there's been some interesting stuff going on, but generally speaking, just people aren't super excited in that profession anymore. Um, but then you also have this like funny, uh, happening here where, um, you are still paid relatively well. And you think that there, like, there's kind of golden handcuff concept where leaving your tradfi job to go do something new is scary, particularly when you've learned a skill. <laughs> the skill I had, you know, trading U.S. government bonds, like basically doing futures basis arbitrage on U.S. treasuries, like, you know, who the fuck cares about that, right? There's like nobody that really wants that that skill set. Um, so it's it's hard, but. That just means that there are a lot of smart people, people that are really smart and creative that are in TradFi and see this emerging opportunity. And the ones that actually think that this is uh, the future or something interesting are sending out resumes and looking for cool jobs as they should. And I think that's super exciting. So uh, one of the things I see, you know, quants coming in and, and traders coming in and talking about is essentially replicating some of the ideas in, in, in TradFi, right? So I'm seeing, especially after this ribbon I think Ribbon got some a little bit of early traction uh, in terms mm-hmm. of keeping these covered call strategies to generate yield. Now, uh, I mean, why is it? But we haven't really seen a lot of products, right? So we haven't seen uh, like someone really solve options in DeFi. I mean, Squeet is probably yeah. something close, but not quite. Uh, there is still a lot of reliance on perps. So, so where do you see we are going in terms of creating new? financial primitives i mean you know the basic building blocks are there but the more complex uh you know if, if you're an ex-quant or an ex-trader you get ex- and you know you've been building some really cool things so 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 what do you see coming down the pipe yeah well let's talk about like the advantages here and i'll go to some of like well some of mark's views and my own views creating a new financial product like creating a new structured note in tradfi is incredibly expensive. Like it takes you compliance and legal and operational and da da da. da. I, I don't know. Like costs you ten million bucks to come up with a new idea, like something big. Mm-hmm. Um, creating a new financial product in DeFi in this like new contracting system we've invented. Um, it, it's not free if you add in like the cost of audits and the talent to write this living contract, but it's a hell of a lot lower. So my first point, like the optimistic note here, is that we should be super bullish on innovation in DeFi because the cost of innovating a new structured product is so much lower. And I think that's really cool. Um, What Ribbon did that's brilliant, I think, is they combined some of the DeFi concepts that exist with TradFi concepts in a way that just made it usable. So one of the DeFi concepts that has worked really well is this idea of trading against a pool, like aggregating, aggregating interest into some pool. And so Ribbon in general, by creating a really simple structured node, but pooling that interest and then kind of auctioning off the the other side of it, um, I think it's weekly or whatever they do, was just a really um, simple way of taking this DeFi concept of kind of pooling or aggregating interest um, and uh, the TradFi concept of a simple structured node and linking the two together. So I think that there's just more need, like on the option side... Yeah, I'll stop talking. The what? Uh, that, that was great. So Mark, uh, that was quite interesting. So, uh, uh, what are you seeing that's new and exciting? I would say that uh, just uh, to to add to what was 
just say uh, there's actually like quite a lot of uh, interesting and new products uh, in DeFi. They are not, uh, they're still like not very well known, but uh, for example, on the option front, uh, we talked about Ripple, but we can also talk about uh, uh, DOPEX, uh, StakeDAO is doing bonds now. Uh, I, I, Open was actually uh, no G that, uh, in, in this field uh, and uh, he's still working on a few things. And the, I'm just gonna go back to what I said at the beginning of this conversation. Uh, the issue is not the technology. As you said, art, uh, it's actually much more uh, seamless to create new pro financial products uh, directly on uh, public blockchains and uh, networks. The, the issue right now is the maturity of the ecosystem actors. And as we are seeing more and more sophisticated actors, as you said, if you are 20, 25-ish right now, and you are good at math, and you don't want to be an engineer, and you are interested in finance, say fuck you uh, to uh, Goldman Sachs, because that was a good opportunity 20 years ago, 10 years ago, five, five years ago. But right now, the, if you have to make a bet with your career, invest the next five years in DeFi. Worst case scenario, you're still young, you will find a good job. Uh, good case scenario, you just uh, earn, like, to skip 20 years of your life uh, yeah, in your career. Completely agree, right? And, uh, and those guys, those guys will bring the brain and the yeah. sophistication to bring DeFi to the next level. Right, right, right. No, I, I think that's absolutely true. And, uh, and you know, it's, uh, back in the days working at Goldman, uh, hacking around in slang and like BB used to be a huge amount of fun, and I don't know, I don't, I don't hear the, that vibe uh, from from the folks over at Goldman anymore. Uh, things, but that's exactly what DeFi feels like, right? I mean, you're creating, you're being creative, you're being sort of inventing things, and it's it's a lot of fun. So, 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 so that, that's not changing, fortunately. Obviously, now it's it's a different market environment, right? So last year when we spoke, uh, and first of all, thank you for using that wonderful word on our show for the first time in history. And, oh, uh, yeah. So it's a it's a it's a fintech podcast, you know. So in fintech, we are well-behaved people, but when you go to DeFi and crypto, obviously, it, uh, it's 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 far more exciting. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 so I, I think when fintech people, you know, you go to fintech conferences, it's like Kumbaya and everyone is hugging each other. And then you go to crypto conferences and it's spicy and it's, it's exciting. And I think, you know, that those were those two words bridging is, is a very exciting change as well. So I'm seeing more fintech entrepreneurs come in and build uh, app aggregators and apps for, you know, users to kind of create distribution for DeFi. That's another trend. Uh, right, so that includes the likes of Yield.app, Swissburg, uh, Flint, a whole number of, you know, Zapper, Zerion. No, Zapper and Zerion are not fintech, as in they're more crypto-native products, but then there is a whole bunch of, you know, these dumped-down uh, user-friendly apps. Uh, and, and uh, you know, we are all waiting for the day when Revolut will essentially integrate with Aave or, you know, UMA, or and, and then start to create really useful products for their users using the, the, the financial infrastructure we built. So now, you know, any, because this is a fintech podcast and what's of, most of us are trad five boomers, if you will. So we have to talk about regulation. If, if we don't talk about regulation, then we're on the wrong Just show. before that, uh, uh, to me, it's a very important point that, that you said that we are seeing the concept of neo-neo banks in, neo the sense, yeah. in the sense that 
some, and obviously it's uh, often the neo banks that are first to adopt this kind of technology, but uh, some of the new fintechs are uh, getting into DeFi, uh, pre but also crypto projects in general, invested and alternative in general, and some are sticking to be just a bank with a with a mobile app, and they think it's good enough to to be a neo bank. And I think in the next five years, uh, the new the new fintechs that adapt will have much more success than those who won't. I agree with that. I think you know we are seeing. So there was this uh, German new sorry, uh, uh, is it Norwegian new bank that just raised seventy million. Uh, and Monzo started talking about uh, a crypto strategy. I think Kobe wrote a paper for them. So Monzo, you know, are the are the are the neo bank that actively block transfers to Binance, and and you know, and, and you still can do that from Revolut, even though Revolut are, you know, support crypto trading for retail users and and are potentially going to launch a token according to the news. But you know, so there has been this, you know, uh, and and I was talking to the CEO of Starling once upon a time, saying, "Hey, what about crypto, right?" So so and at that point was, you know, this isn't a thing. But now it looks like a lot of fintechs are are adopting crypto. So Hart, have you seen anything in that space? Um, I think that you are spot on in this idea of a fintech, like, or Mark's point of like, the most aggressive neobanks, the neo-neobanks are going to be the ones that offer the best products and services because they adopt DeFi rails and do more aggressive things. But this, Aja, does go to your question of like regulation, right? Like how, Yes. it's like, it's all like a risk spectrum where the rules are not known. So right now we have a regulatory environment where none of, like anyone that tells you they know what the rules are is wrong because the rules aren't actually written down. And so you have this risk spectrum where you have like TradFi over here that because of their legacy business can't do new things. And then you have like some of the big neo banks in the middle. And then you have like the, what we'll use Mark's term of like the neo neo bank, the new new bank. Um, on the one side, and their risk spectrum is just different based on their legacy business and based on the regulatory risk they can take and how much they can bend the rules. That's kind of my take. And so I think what you end up having, if we play it forward, TradFi can never get out of their legacy business and they get lapped, right? But what happens over on this side of the spectrum in terms, I actually don't have a strong view on like, you know, are there going to be banks that get too aggressive and then get kind of like, really reined in by regulators that like don't like that is there a, a sweet spot on that spectrum of where you want to sit I, I don't really know um but that's kind of my my, my mental model for it right right so i think one thing, sorry. So, go. sorry go ahead Mark. Please go. no no go for it uh, you go ahead uh, I think uh, one thing that we we seen is that all the those new new banks will be the cd5 basically in the sense that they will be uh the pathway into DeFi, like Stania from uh, from Ave, uh, used to say, and I, I don't think he invented that, but uh, it's the last one that said it, so I, I will give it to him, that uh, DeFi is the back end and uh, CeFi is the front end. And I really believe that's uh, one of the main pathways for, for the next few years in the sense that people will have accounts in those new, new banks or whatever. And those banks will uh, provide liquidity into DeFi. But what happens when they get wrecked? 
like when there's a hack and uh, they they invest in a legion protocol and they, lo- they lose user funds. What happened? Well, if they are uh, registered, uh, they, they, they will need to uh, cover their responsibility. What happens uh, if uh, there's uh, some kind of compliance issue with some deposits uh, from users? And I think those questions are critical and nobody has the perfect answer to any of those questions right now. And that's the, the main challenge for the next two to three years to solve and give framework and to find uh, the, the, the right standards to have this relationship and those bridge, as you said uh, before, uh, between uh, the DeFi and the CeFi world. So, you know, my frustration with FinTech was that uh, people just kept putting apps on top of uh... Of, of legacy rails and getting crazy valuations, right? So Lemonade is a prime example. It was, uh, you know, uh, Lemonade is a bit more interesting actually, but in a lot of cases, you know, back in the days, early days of Monzo, you were essentially putting a mobile app and aggregating, you know, a whole bunch of legacy rails and uh, but, but not really building infrastructure. Then came around this idea of embedded finance, which was basically this, you know, where, uh, Angela Strange of A16Z said, oh, every company is going to be a fintech company. Now, of course, we are saying every company is going to be a crypto company. Uh, and we were essentially putting mobile, you know, nice UX on top of basically crap, right? Forgive my language. We use two words in, I think, that everything I can. So, uh, so, so I think uh, fintech using DeFi rails makes a lot of sense because, you know, of course, these are early, early days, but these are, you know, fundamentally new rails. And uh, and there is a lot of you know talent in terms of distribution and UX and you know compliance and a whole a whole bunch of stuff that can you know uh, distribute DeFi to the next billion users, right? And all of that may or may not happen on chain. Some of that it's okay if some of that is off chain, and bringing a lot of value through fiat and all of that. So uh, so, so I, I think uh, but DeFi isn't DeFi without governance, right? So I mean I think a key idea of now, my pers- and what is governance? Governance is the process by which decisions are made regarding a DeFi protocol. So, if you want to change, you know, uh, any parameters like risk parameters in Aave or you know leverage ratios, uh, loan to value ratios, then then there is a voting process, and it's, it's an imperfect democracy that makes those decisions. So, so what changes are you seeing, or what what's the evolution of governance or decision making in DeFi that you have seen, Hart and Mark? Well, I mean, one of the things that a lot of people shit on governance is like, okay, wait, I've got my useless governance tokens. Um, And I have a a much more optimistic view. We haven't been able to program governance before. Like before our past ways of how we could govern things are very basic. Like you go, you vote at your local election type thing. It's really basic. But we suddenly now have turned governance into software that is infinitely programmable. And I think the design space here is really huge. So in terms of what I'm super excited about is like, how do we um, optimize our governance structures? Like for example, I don't think it makes sense for every Aave token holder to vote on risk parameters because most of them don't know what the hell they should vote on, right? But the idea of having uh, uh, electing a committee that has some skin in the game, that actually sets those parameters, that's still decentralized, that seems really interesting. Um, and then I, I think there's all sorts of other um, incentive structures we can build off this. Right. And I really believe like MechaDAO is setting the standards in this industry for the simple reason that they were the first one to ask themselves the, uh, this question. They 
actually are pioneer in decentralized governance and in decentralization and in DeFi. Uh, and thus they adopted a system of representative uh, to delegate with voting and also to what they call core units. So basically very specialized tax force around one topic about one aspect of the protocol that vote their own budget and have some form of autonomy, but still have a lot of auditability and uh, can be uh, taken accountable by the community that if they do something wrong, will not vote their next budget and basically vote to kick them out. And I think we are experiencing more and more maturity on that front. We and we are now at a stage where we can confidently say there's like decentralized protocol and there's DeFi only name protocols where one actors yeah, when that's what, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's uh, that's the obvious example. But one actor that goes away, the whole protocol goes to shit. Yeah, we, we saw that with Andre Cronier recently retiring, right? The famous Wi-Fi developer and the Phantom. Well, to, so on. And the guy goes to be completely honest, like Yearn uh, is not affected by uh, the, unless like uh, the market oh, yeah. variation, but the market will do what the market does. But uh, the protocol still completely operate without Andre because it has minimal implication uh, in the right. nowadays. But smaller protocols are quite affected. That's and right. that means that was it completely decentralized? Maybe they were not mature enough. Maybe if we left like in two years, uh, they would not be in this situation. Right. So, so that sort of dependence on an individual, right? So, it is you know, Satoshi, or entity. Yeah, or uh, entity, right? Satoshi uh, isn't around, but Bitcoin is perfectly fine. I mean, exactly. uh, I mean and uh, I like to call that the asteroid dust. Like, if there's like some weird asteroid that comes to Earth and fragments into small uh, section and kill instantly the whole AV team, does AV still works out as intended? Yeah. And the answer is yes. You can yeah, still right. deposit into AV, you can still uh, take liquidity from AV, and there still can be developers out there that make AIP to yeah. modify the protocol, yeah. even if I die right now. Yeah, so the system and, works without the founding fathers, so so to speak, right? That's kind of the, the and, point of building the checks and balance. But I have, you know, we have ten minutes, and I want to talk about two more things. So, so the first is GameFi. So I've seen, you know, the games like crypto games start to integrate DeFi primitives. Axie Infinity, for example, a very popular, you know, game like a Ponzi. I should I should use that word. That's another third bad word. A third, you know, a game <laughs> essentially has this idea of uh, a Dex. A decentralized exchange inside it. So, so what's going on with GameFi and you know uh, just integrating DeFi into games? And where do you think that's going? Hard. I know. Uh, yeah. Well, I don't know enough about games. I'm not enough of a DGen gamer. Uh, all I know is I think this is super interesting, right? And I think this idea of um, okay, right, here's my view. Um, a lot of DeFi is a game. Like in economics, you talk about game and game theory, and they mean it in a very different context than playing a video game. But there is a, a parallel here where we're trying to like, there are some rules and you're trying to figure out how to maximize your points. And in a lot of DeFi, I think of it as a video game. And I think people approach it as a video game where they're playing and investing and trying to maximize points, which are just dollar numbers here. Yeah. And so I actually think it's super natural for GameFi to actually create, like to add in an economic component to actual video games. And I find that 
design space, super exciting. And you want to talk about new directions for DeFi. I think that there is going to be a very much an embedded financial economic component to these games because it's all about designing incentive structures, which is what DeFi protocols do today anyways. So Mark, you've been backing Ave Gochi, right? I I see a lot of tweets. So what's going on there? Oh, I'm a a huge fan. So disclaimer, I'm a fan. I'm an investor and Ave Gochi is a black hole for my own money. So... uh, (laughs) Please do your own research because uh, this thing is taking all my time and money. So don't uh, uh, One thing that is quite important in GameFi is that the first wave of GameFi were like a lot of Ponzinomics and not very fun. So we had like the, the, the play to earn. And uh, like the first version, for example, of Axie Infinity was not very fun. Uh, you have like uh, axes, which are uh, like some kind of characters and you click on the screen and you can do that like for several hours a day in order to make like uh, a few bucks a day. Uh, Axie Infinity uh, team is actually like uh, quite brilliant and I love what they do and they are working on a lot of stuff to improve their game, to launch new game. So there's a lot of uh, uh, iteration on that because the whole thing is not mature yet. But what I know is that the gaming industry is the biggest cultural industry in the world. It's bigger than cinema. It's bigger than TV. It's bigger than music and things like that combined. Uh, and people love to be slightly different online. And when you combine those two things, like yeah. being able to play uh, to play to with assets that you actually own and being able to spend to be slightly different to somebody else online, yeah, you have yeah. the perfect market. But this is this is really cool, right? As in, uh, I'm I'm actually let's say a gamer, and I can integrate financial primitives, but I also can get learn a lot, right? So in terms of what's going on by essentially integrating DeFi with, with NFTs or non fungible tokens, and essentially trading cats or earning a yield against my cat pictures. I think there is a there is a there is a massive design space there and a lot of innovation to be had. And potentially fintech can learn something from that, right? And because Roblox is the biggest uh, what is that NFT marketplace, they don't call it that. They don't use a blockchain, but my son spends too much money on it and I'm gonna have to figure out what to do about that. Maybe some Asian parenting. Uh, but anyway, so one more thing on that is you know NFTs we're not going to talk too much about, but you know gaming gamefi to me is really cool because it really integrates NFTs and DeFi. But heart this and is it's also of- a Trojan alt for finance. Like Absolutely. this thing, a Navigochi, it's actually a blockchain wallet. It's an ERC-1155 that can hold assets, that can hold NFTs, that can deposit into Aave and earn interest, redirect interest to other stuff. And that's just an example. But this thing is actually a Trojan art to teach people that came for a game and uh, learn about finance. Right. So maybe one day I'll go to the Blanca Santander in Barcelona and, and borrow against my cats, uh, my cat pictures. But Hart, one more thing, right? So you've been building some cool thing and you've been very modest and humble and not tried to, as we say in crypto shill at all. But I yeah. want to know what you're doing in the UMA or UMA protocol and you've been inventing some cool things. So give us what those two or three things are. Before yeah, we so, okay. So core concept, we're inventing a different type of Oracle. This is my shill for two seconds. Inventing something called an optimistic Oracle. Right. Yeah. My show for two seconds. Optimistic Oracle, we can ask for any type of knowledge, any type of knowable question we can get on a blockchain. Um, so it doesn't just mean you need like um, like the price of Bitcoin or the price of Ethereum. You can use Chainlink very effectively for that. This is more like, hey, I want to know whether 
um, you know, who won the Super Bowl is a good example for kind of prediction or information markets or for structured products, Ajit, like for sort of different types of financial products. I want to know um, whatever my payout structure might be. Like uh, what's the correlation between oil and Bitcoin? I have no idea. Like whatever the answer is, we can get that piece of information on the blockchain. And I think this optimistic oracle is like another essential primitive or building block in order to write contracts that can do anything. So any so, type so of what, what sort of things as a user, what sort of things can I get out of that? So the thing that we've gotten a lot of traction on right now are something we call KPI options. And these are really for other protocols or DAOs where I want to create an incentive structure for my community. Let's, let's start there. So I want to create an incentive structure for my community. I'm project XYZ and I want $100 million of TVL. And so I create a synthetic token collateralized with my project token that will unlock at the end of the month if my project hits 100 million bucks of TVL. So the question we're asking our Oracle here is like, did project XYZ hit $100 million of TVL? The answer is yes or no, right? And based on that outcome, I get a payout uh, of these KPI options, right? Yes. That's like one example. Yeah, so you know we have kind of run out of time. Uh, Hard, this that, that's fantastic. And Mark, thank you for sharing your insights. You know, and I, I, I think we should share French charts with our audience because they will deliver a lot more return than anything I've seen in TradFi. Right, hedge funds are losing 30 percent or 30, 40 percent in in the stock market, and uh, French charts are still making twenty percent. So, and and in a sensible way, with you know, in ways that makes financial sense. So, but but I think look if uh, the the key to message to our you know our audience is uh, that if you're in the if you're in the space if you're in fintech and you're looking to do something more than wrapping you know things in an app uh, you have to be looking at DeFi right all of the innovation all of the invention right now is 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 massively massively in DeFi and it's the space of huge creativity so if you're hearing any other noise about DeFi I think you're kind of missing the point this is the space of invention. Uh, and you're very welcome to join it and uh, you can reach. So where can our guests reach you, Hart? What's the best way to find you and Mark? Yeah, on Twitter, I'm Hal2001. And Ajit, let's underscore that. Like, I think we all agree that if you're in TradFi or FinTech and you're not seriously considering moving to DeFi, I mean, you, what are you you're even, not going to make it. You're not going <laughs> to NGMI. <laughs> well, I would go further. Like, take uh, risk for 100 bucks. Like put that into a wallet you can control. Go to a cheap chain where the transaction fee are not uh, quite expensive. Like Polygon is a great, uh, great example, for example, uh, because you have most of the DeFi protocols that are there. And even if you lose all your money in the Ponzi, what you will learn, I can guarantee, is worth a lot more than one hundred bucks. Absolutely, absolutely. Great. I completely agree. And the one last thing that I've seen, and we'll make a whole new episode about it is one of the largest, you know, at least uh, two or three of the largest banks in the world, especially investment banks, looking to come away from private chains to public chains. And, the, you know, I don't want to leak too much alpha here, but that's a big deal. And we'll talk about that in a follow-up episode about DeFi in the very near future. You'll be surprised by what, I, what you learned there. Thank you so much to our guests, Hart and Mark. You know, you guys are true OGs and uh, a credit uh, to both TradFi and DeFi, uh, if I may so say in my British English. And uh, thank you for joining us. And uh, thank you to our producer, Renata, and thank you to all our guests. And let's make good shit happen. Oh, that's the fourth word for today. All right, have a good one. Sure.
Thanks for listening to Breaking Banks Europe, a Provoke Media podcast in cooperation with Fintech Stage. Don't forget to tweet us out, shout out, or post to the team at Breaking Banks EU on Twitter. If there's something or someone you'd like to hear on our cast, let us know. See you next week on Breaking Banks Europe.